0: In this episode of Inside Frozen 2... I mean, with the one thing with the score is you don't really always want the audience paying attention to it. You just want them to feel it. I
1: mean, are you in ways kind of puppeteering that part, right? You're kind of leading people.
0: Yeah, I,
2: they're, they're like musical Easter eggs, I think, um, on, especially on repeated viewings. Like, but maybe on the 5th viewing or the 10th yeah. or 15th Because it's going view. to
1: happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ginger Zee, here in the very studio where they worked with the whole cast to bring Frozen 2 to life. And we're going to talk to Frozen 2's composer, Christoph Beck, and Disney Animation's head of music, Tom McDougall, on Inside Frozen 2. Um, Wow, I just saw the film. That was something. (laughs) That was was very special. Um, And obviously, because this is the only Disney animated sequel ever... I mean, this is the first one. Music is key. It's everything. So you guys are kind of it. Those are just subtle smiles, like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, we know.
0: (laughs) We like to think that anyway. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, it's funny. We don't, we look at them all as one, you know, and not even part of two or anything like that. And it's just trying to find its own voice. And, of course, our job is to find the voice of the music in it. And... People, I think a lot of times when they think of Disney, they think of music and they think that somehow we might be prescriptive in that we sit down and figure out how to get as much music into these movies as possible. And it's really not the case. We just look at it as music is a tool that can be used to help tell this story. And how do we want to use that tool? And it might be sparingly. Like if you think it had like one song and an underscore, but then you've got a movie like Frozen 2 that has seven songs and a full underscore. So that one we just chose to use the tool that music is going to have a very important role in telling this story. And and we used it.
1: And I and, and used it well because, you know, it takes a lot for me to get the, the – I'm not a Goosebumps person, but twice I had that kind of, like, from my back. You know, they, like, awesome started loud. back here, and I thought, <laughs> all right, that <it> worked. That <laughs> certainly worked. Um, is that the intent? Is that the goal?
0: Yeah, I think we're always trying to move people yeah. with music. You know, it, there's an emotional thing that happens when people hear music. And, and if you even think about movies, you know, movies – are there to try to recreate some reality, whether it be a location. You know, you can record a scene that's supposed to take place in New York in Los Angeles. You're just trying to create the reality of it. But if you think about it, music is the one sort of cheat in the whole process in that, like right now, there's no music playing supporting what we're thinking about or talking about. Whereas in a movie, there's this music comes along and and helps you understand what the characters are doing. So, um
1: and what the tone is meant to be, and yeah I mean, right? it's, it was... it's
0: really like
2: an emotional glue mm-hmm. that is meant to tie the whole story together and make it a more cohesive whole um, and uh, uh, something Tom just said reminded me too, what is one of the great pleasures of working in animation as a composer is that the, the world of the movie is created from whole cloth. It, it didn't exist before this incredible team of artists mm-hmm. got together to create it. And as a result, there's more room for music to have a role in creating that world mm-hmm. than in a live-action film. And that just um, allows me to stretch my muscles, if I may mix metaphors, um, a, a little bit more than in a live-action film. And it makes me feel that much more like I'm part of the storytelling.
1: And I would say, so here we are. We're sitting, in the people that are just listening, we are at a piano. Uh, Chris is at a piano. We are just on the side, Tom. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you said when you started, this is how we work all the time. He sits a little higher. That was a joke, I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but tell us how you two work together and what roles you specifically play.
2: Well, um, you know, my job is to fulfill the vision of the filmmakers uh, from a storytelling and emotional perspective. I come up with musical ideas, and I make... Um, uh, rough demos or sketches of my ideas and then sit down with Tom and the directors and the producer and the editor and we listen to my work and we discuss it. Um, and there's often um, some changes, I, small changes I need to make once in a while, maybe a bigger change, but it's a very interactive and collaborative process. Mm. And um, Tom is is um, the one kind of in charge of putting all that together And, um, you know, occasionally uh, pipes in with a, a, I will have to say, very, very (laughs) strong and great suggestion of his own. Yeah. Um, And it's a real team effort.
1: Can you give us an example of something that you came in with for Frozen
2: 2? Uh, Absolutely. Um, One of the things I wanted to do with Frozen 2 um, was make sure that we had really strong musical themes Mm -hmm. um, so that I would have a, a kind of musical storytelling Bible from which to draw as I as i worked on the film and because this is such a um a powerful story centered on elsa and her journey and the um her desire to find out more about you know who she is and where she came from and and where her powers came from i knew that we needed a new theme for elsa so elsa's theme and it needed to be at the same time emotional and at times heroic because mm-hmm. she's in many ways a kind of a superhero. Um, so I'm just going to yeah. play a little bit of that theme right now. Kind of starts out minor and then has a little bit of a turn towards the major key so it's kind of minor here it warms up and i think that's key to capturing the optimism mm-hmm. in her character and to make sure that that music doesn't ever get kind of too down.
1: And so it's that intentional that the transformation meant to be seen in the film is within the music. And Absolutely. and that's kind of set. You knew ahead of time that that's the story loosely of what she was going to go through, I assume. Right. And then you just said, OK, this feels right. And, and then... Exactly. As the film is made, I'm sure that can be manipulated if something else happens. It's like, well, she didn't get as bright or whatever it sure. is.
2: And, and, you know, part of the, the exciting part of my job is figuring out the timing of when that shift to optimism occurs and mm-hmm. making sure that that happens at a key moment when it can give you – hopefully some of those goosebumps.
1: Yes. And that's almost I mean are you in ways kind of puppeteering that part, right? You're kind of leading people like come on over here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean with the one thing with the score is you don't really always want the audience paying attention to it. You just right. want them to feel it. Yep. Um, but in Frozen the music takes on a, a much different more important role mm-hmm. in and Chris is one of the masters of kind of finding so a simple something that sounds simple mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, compositionally, it's like, oh, it's simple, it's beautiful, but it's also being constructed to be able to do lots of different things. Like I said, it could be played very slowly and quietly, and then it could be, you know, when, when Anna's leading the charge against the, the stone giants, you know, then it needs to ser- uh, work in that respect as well.
1: And so we'll hear it come back that way.
0: Yeah, in
2: fact, you'll, you could hear a transformation uh, exactly the way Tom just described, mm-hmm. within the same – you know, very short 20-second mm. snippet where it'll start out very pretty and very beautiful during an emotional moment, and then in that moment Tom was referring to when the soldiers start hitting their shields with their swords yes. in a kind of rousing let us go get them" gesture. Mm-hmm. You know, the French horns take over, and all of a sudden the brass play, and yeah. it's much more powerful. Um, but they're picking up the melody where it was left off by mm-hmm. the beautiful high strings and clarinets. So it's connected all as one Um, emotional piece that has this amazing transition right in the middle.
1: Can we go to, there's so many things. I mean, the choir's back, so you notice that right at the beginning. And the choir's name? Cantus. Cantus. And that, tell me with the origin and where that came from and why you brought them back.
0: Yes, so there was a piece of music that was found on a research trip uh, during the first Frozen. It was on a CD, it was that long ago. Um, And uh, we really fell in love with that piece of music and we cut it into the movie, you know, part like of our... who
1: found that? Who's the person that... Uh, it's been a long time. It's been eight years or something, right? I, I wasn't on
0: that trip, so I don't <laughs> yeah. actually remember. Okay. Um, and I'd hate to say the wrong person, okay. but um, so they went on this trip and brought this music back. And, you know, for animation, you know, unlike a live-action movie where you could go outside on down the street and film a scene and, and, and that could start to be the, the, the piece, one of the first pieces of your movie, mm-hmm. our movies are Developed through storyboards and then rough animation. Like, the process is very long, so we're always testing ideas in ways that we consider, like, free. So, like, we'll take music that exists in the world, say, um, like that piece, and we'll put it in the movie just as a placeholder to, to um, help us um, just wait until we get the actual thing. So that piece of music was in there, and then it was one of those ones that just never left. And so we, we um, hired the composer, Frode, um, a time, i will never get that right—but uh, Frode, we call him, and uh, he was the one that recorded that original piece with this group. This this group of um, women who uh, perform in Trondheim, Norway. And it just felt like the right group of people to add that level of authenticity that Raw was looking for.
1: So it was nice to hear that. But then obviously there's a new noise that comes in, and that's the O. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, lots of O's. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
0: I'm
1: not going to sing it because it's very high. Yes. Um. But is that from you all, or is that from the story, or where? How does that collaboration work?
0: Yeah. So that. Character, really, uh, Mm -hmm. we call her the voice, is the literal voice that's calling Elsa and is um, hopefully for Elsa going to hold the secrets to all the questions she has as to why is she here? Why does she have these powers? All these sorts of things. So when we started to talk about that idea, then we wanted to musicalize that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Our songwriters, Kristen and Bobby Lopez, Mm -hmm. when they're writing the songs, particularly Into the Unknown, crafted a way to have that voice sort of set up the song and then be integrated into the song and then propel us into the story. So then we, we were looking for voices to capture that thing. When I was looking through, I got a lot of contacts on I met a lot of people, and there was this one artist I was always really fascinated by. Her name's Aurora, who happened to be Norwegian. And she has this joyful but playful and then very unique sensibility and vocal performance style that felt like it could be our voice and then we sent her the material and she sent us some demos back and then we said yeah she's our voice.
1: Because it's not a I mean it's not a yodel but it's kind of like this right? That's the the word. I'm sorry. Cueling. Cueling, right? That style. But it is, this is a take on that style I would assume then.
0: Yeah, again for us we never want to get too literal because then we could get it wrong but it felt to us like a voice you might hear coming through the mountains of Mm -hmm. Norway. Um, what
1: does Frozen Two bring that nothing has, you know, nobody's seen before?
0: Well, certainly in terms of, I, I, I imagine when people come to Frozen Two, they have some expectation of what they're going to see. So obviously they've seen the first movie, and then they're thinking what it'll be. And I like to think that they're going to be really surprised with some of the choices we made. Um, if you think of the first movie, even just in terms of the the set piece moments, the Let It Go, the do You Want to Build a Snowman? Um, in Summer, all the songs. Y- people might think that we're going to try to recapture that past glory in some mm-hmm. way. Um, but for us, we don't make sequels based on the success of the first one. You know, like when Frozen became a hit, we didn't say, all right, now we got to go yeah. figure out how to make a sequel. Like, it really does come from a place of what What other story do we want to tell? Is there another story the to tell? The curiosity
1: of what yeah. could come next, yeah.
0: Because that's where we feel the... A great sequel comes from, not just some random adventure because, again, we're trying to capitalize on something. So when we looked at this in terms of a musical, um, because if you look at the, the history of musicals and how many sequels to musicals there are, there are almost none. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like we did research in that area and, and tried to figure out the things. But for, to us, it just felt like, well, we want to justify the existence of this movie So in Justifying the Existence, we want to take the characters to deeper places on adventures that maybe people aren't expecting. Mm -hmm. So with this movie, um, Kristoff gets a song. He didn't really get a song in the first one. And it's
1: so fun. Yeah,
0: it's really fun.
1: Again, you're gone.
2: Off on a different path than mine. I'm left behind
0: Anna gets a song but it goes to a place not yeah not fun <laughs> not a place I think people would expect us to go but again in that that interest of justifying the existence where well, we want to take Anna's a complex character as well I mean we all know Elsa is but Anna is as well and how, how do we show that and that song moment felt like one of the opportunities to to showcase that
1: just do the next right thing. You know, here we are, I, I did sit with Kristen and Bobby and similarly and got to hear a lot of the songs before I had even seen the film. Yeah. So that I could kind of, you can tell the story, even with those seven songs, quite a bit. I mean, you can really yeah. follow how the story may go because they are such temples, right, within within the film. Um, first of all, when you brought, and I believe you brought the Lopez's in, yeah. right? Um, why the guy from Book of Mormon <laughs> is the right guy for Frozen. <laughs>
0: Well, it was funny uh many years ago, back in my toy story days um so I was new and young and, and just wanted to find my place and to help out and I remember going to lunch with one of our story artists, and he was saying like you know who who are our contemporaries? You know we had this history of working with all these great artists in this this artist was just sort of saying to me like "Who's the one for us now and I thought to myself i, I don't know i don't have that answer so I went to New York. And took in a bunch of shows, and one of the shows was Avenue Q. Mm-hmm. And as I was sitting there, something just dawned on me. I was like, you know, this feels like the answer to the question that that guy was asking me: Who's who are our people? Because the Avenue Q, it's it's a Broadway musical grounded in all the rules and and success of what makes those shows work but it pushed the boundaries just enough that it felt like oh interesting um fast forward to we we were rebooting um a Winnie the Pooh movie yeah
1: but like again you know having a cute book of Mormon and then Winnie the Pooh (laughs) yes yeah
0: Winnie the Pooh that the the sweetest most tender gentle stuffed animal existence um, but the the idea was to figure out a way where else can poo go, and we knew we 're not going to go really far with pooh, but are there places to push it to to make it mm-hmm. c- you know connect with with audiences now? They had that thing, and yeah. again, they had the training, so that was our introduction to them. And then, um, shortly after that, it was such a success in terms of a working relationship that that's when I brought them to Frozen.
1: And that's and I know that you had to, Chris, work with them cons- a lot. What is that relationship like between uh, you and the Lopez? Well,
2: first of all, Bobby and I go way back. We went to college together. We okay. sang in the same a cappella singing group.
1: Oh wow. I
2: am proud slash embarrassed to say. <laughs> what was <laughs> um, the,
1: what was the name of it?
2: Uh, I'm also proud slash embarrassed to say that it was called The Spizwinks,
0: oh. Um
2: <laughs> at Yale University. Um, the cross-pollination between the songs and the score is a, is a really important part of yeah. what I do. It doesn't necessarily involve me sitting down with Bobby and Kristen and working it all out. Due to the nature of the, the way musicals are made, the songs have to be made well before, you know, as the story is being written. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the strengths of... The way Disney puts together musicals, specifically Frozen, Frozen 2, is that the songwriters are really part of the writing team from the very beginning.
1: They're driving the narrative. And,
2: and they make sure that the songs um, are extremely well integrated into the storytelling in such a way that you couldn't imagine the story being pushed forward any other way except by a song. Um, by the time I start to do my work, all the songs are finished. And it's really just a question of me figuring out where the best spots are to incorporate the melodies from uh, the songs. And I was immediately, from the very first screening that I saw Frozen 2, and I heard that lullaby that um, uh, Anna and Elsa's mom sings to them, I was immediately struck and taken with it.
1: Where the north wind meets the sea There's a river
2: A beautiful river. tune played on strings or on a solo oboe or whatever. And in fact, um, that particular tune, that lullaby, comes back many, many different times in many ways.
1: When would it, because I'd have to watch again, because I didn't notice, but when is it again? When do you When do you hear well, it? Well, for
2: example, when they go down um, into the bowels of that ship, they find that map, Yeah. and then Elsa creates a, a kind of a, a sculpture through you know, by channeling this this mysterious northern power, they kind of have a key revelation mm-hmm. about their parents. That entire sequence is played with an instrumental version of the lullaby. And there's mm-hmm. also a sequence earlier in the film, In the Forest. It comes right after... Or I should say right before the the forest people sing that Hey Na Na song. Yeah. I'm sure you remember that moment.
0: You know, and that's I think one of the gifts that Chris has is finding a way to to write to take material that he didn't write and interpolate it into his score around themes that he's written to make it feel cohesive. Right. For a movie like Frozen or Frozen 2, it's, it's mandatory. It has yeah. to be that way. Because you have
1: to feel it again. You
0: yeah. have to feel it. And Chris, again, masterfully crafts it through. Because, again, like I was saying before, you just want it to peek through sometimes and just to give people that little bit of information or that little bit of comfort or that little bit of emotion. And if you can do it with material that they've already heard, that's where this, the success lies.
2: It's also interesting, too, to approach it from two different angles. Sometimes we hear a song early in the film and I can call back to it. Mm-hmm. But I think other times it's more powerful to plant some seeds mm. in the score um, for a song that comes later in the film. Perfect example of that is um, a song you guys were referring to earlier, "The Next Right Thing," which Anna sings late in the film. There are a couple of key moments when Anna's having conversations with people. I think in one of those moments, they literally say, that's
0: "What that's is right. there
2: next to? What is there left to do? Only the next right thing." Yeah. And I just very, very simply, usually on a solo instrument, tease that melody so that by the time that song comes up hmm. at the end of the film, you've already heard that melody. You don't necessarily know this or realize this as an audience member, but there's a familiarity to it. So when she gets to that key part of the hmm. song and sings that melody, it's already implanted You're in You're
1: like your a brain. melody ninja. Uh, yes, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> Yes. Can you play that? Uh, there's just, just yeah. that bit we may hear under there.
2: of it. Mm -hmm. Um, again, a very beautiful tune that, that lent itself extremely well to instrumental treatment.
1: So I noticed, obviously there are so many new characters. Um, do those sometimes lend to saying, okay, we need to drive them musically like Gale or do they have their own sounds?
2: Uh, definitely Gale does. Mm -hmm. In fact, that was something that, um, hadn't occurred to me on my own. I was, you know, at some point. Maybe a third of the way through developing the score, Mm -hmm. when um, uh, Chris Buck, one of the directors, turned to me and said, You know, Gail appears enough in this movie. I think we should have some kind of musical motif for Gail.
1: What does Gail sound like? Can you remind me? Because I.
2: Um, Yes, something. I knew there
1: was something there, but.
2: Um, that helped me, that and, brought uh, me back. Yeah. And anytime, anytime, you know, that that wind picks up and and it's magical. You know, you hear some version of that, and it kind of culminates at the very end of the film, um, during the epilogue, when um, there's a message that mm-hmm. that gets carried on the wind all the way to the the north, uh, the the island up in the north, Holland. Yeah. And. Um, Um, That whole sequence is carried through with the kind of expanded version of of the Gale Mm theme.
0: Something like that for Gale, like in most movies, it would be sound effects. Yes. Would figure out what is the sound of Gale. They wouldn't even dream of musicalizing it. But for us, again, we're looking for any opportunity to help musicalize the movie if it needs it.
1: Um, I'm sure there's a million things that I did miss and that audiences on that first, you know, because they're going to be blown away by so many things. What do you hope they don't miss? What's something they should look for,
0: listen for? Well, I I think one of the things would be to listen for how Chris interpolates those songs into the score because it's – it's so subtle that sometimes you'll think, have I heard this before? And the answer is yes, but you just heard it three minutes ago, not yeah. <laughs> five years ago. And that's a, that's a real compliment to figure out a way to even maybe, like he was saying, put it into a solo instrument or something like that or a voice. Um,
2: yeah, one of Tom's jobs is to is to make a note of all the places where I do that to make sure that you know everything gets credited appropriately right. at the end of the day. And I noticed him um, during one of the screenings of my demos, sitting next to me, writing down every time. And I'd be like, "Oh, you missed this one." Even I missed it. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like musical Easter eggs. I think on on mm-hmm. especially on repeated viewings, like you said, you know, we we want. The audience on a first viewing to just be 100 percent into the story and not analyzing the score, but maybe on the fifth viewing or the yeah. tenth or because it's going year, to
1: happen. <laughs> yeah. um,
2: you know that is that is something I I wish that that people get a little kick out of saying oh I recognize where that's yeah. from and
1: that's and really that's I think what I've noticed now becoming a parent and and I'm. I've always loved music, but I'm more interested in that I like just the instrumental. I tend to kind of shy away from wanting the, the big, li- it's yeah. just me getting older, I guess. I want quieter things. I don't know. <laughs> um, but But even the feeling you can get when you're standing at the theme park and just that part's playing. Yeah. I mean, that's what you end up. Right. And that's what you start feeling and and recognizing as the film.
2: Yeah. And those of us who are parents Mm -hmm. know, too, that uh, when you have kids who are really into a film, you end up watching it a lot of times. Lots of time to (laughs) analyze. A lot of opportunity to listen to all the different music that you maybe wouldn't have on a first or second. Well,
0: it's interesting. We have a philosophy in not only making these movies, but for me in the music. And and that is because oftentimes people will say, like, how do you go after whoever? Yeah. And, you know, one of the examples is Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's like, sure. oh, my gosh, what a great idea. You got the guy from Hamilton to do mm-hmm. Moana. The truth is we hired Lin before Hamilton. Mm. And the the reason for that is he felt like the best creative choice for that movie. Hamilton, even if Hamilton never happened, we're still going to stand by that choice that we thought he would be the one to make that movie resonate. And part of what that is is – Our metric, like most people are trying to capture, like, what's happening today? How do we capitalize on what's popular right now, which is not a bad strategy? But for us, the way we look at it is if we do it right, if we do this movie well, make a great movie, it'll last forever. Mm -hmm. So if you think of, you know, a movie that people are watching today from 1937, it's Snow White. Yeah. And why is that? You know, partially because it was made with this, this feeling of forever. So when you're working in a world of trying to make something that's quality, that's going to last forever, it's a different approach. And that's a much different thing than most other movies are doing. And that's, again, part of why you're able to stand at the park and hear these things, because we've we've looked at it through a different lens.
1: Right. So you two have worked together for a long time now, Mm -hmm. and this is finished. Is th- I'm sure you'll work together again, I assume. Yeah. Um, but does it feel kind of like camp or something where you guys all came back together and now <laughs> camp's over again?
2: <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, you know, we, a few weeks ago, had the, the final au- playback of the, the final audio mix of all the whole movie where um, some very talented audio mixers mix together the dialogue and the sound effects and the music. And it's always the last thing to happen Mm -hmm. at the end of every film. And I have to say for me, it was a particularly emotional experience um, because it was such a great project. And I really felt like the, my, my collaborators were as, as thoughtful and as respectful and as, Open mm-hmm. creatively as any project I've ever worked on. That's so tough was... in this,
1: in the creation though, because it's still, it's you, right? You put yourself out there. If he says, I don't like that last bit, it's, you really have to If someone's new and wanting to do this, you, would you say that's a huge part of growing?
2: Oh, absolutely. Growing and... Yeah, I think, you know, I consider myself part of the storytelling team. And mm-hmm. while when I sit down at the piano or at my computer and I decide which note's going to come next, that is very much a part of me. Yeah. It is all in service of, you know, a, a director's vision, filmmaker's vision of the story that they want to tell. And I think for any young composers out there, um, that is absolutely key to, yeah. you know, to <laughs> having,
1: that selfless. Having it I mean, any it's any selfless, right?
0: Yeah. Well, for better or worse, one of the hardest parts of being a, a score composer is it's it's a massive part of the. Creative expression, of course, mm-hmm. you know, pick your percentage, it's 20% of the success of the movie is going to lie in how well that's done. The problem is, it comes last. Yes. So oftentimes, if there's something not working, they're going to pretend or rely on the score to help fix it. Mm-hmm. And it may not be there. It may not even be within anyone's capability. But it's Chris's job to figure it out, to figure out how to extract every last bit of juice from this thing to make it the greatest thing it can be, because he's the last stop on this tour.
1: And so would you say if if you were to do, like going to another project or say, and I keep bringing it in every one, but Josh Gad keeps saying Frozen 3. I'm just going to put it out there. He just keeps <laughs> saying it. Um, too soon. Yeah, too <laughs> soon, buddy. Um, but, but there is the frozen effect, right? The thing that it has done and that we've seen globally from the first film. I anticipate you have that in this one, too. And I think the music is is it, right? That is, it's not just that it's let it go, but there is, do you want to build a snowman? There's so many layers of, of what this meant to everybody. What is the one story that you took away from the first one that impacted you? Or maybe a, a visual that you saw a little girl doing, you know, or a little boy or whatever it was.
2: Well, I can, I can answer that in personal terms there's always a point in every project that i work on usually early on where i stop watching it like a person a normal person watch a normal movie Mm -hmm. and i start watching it as a puzzle to be solved right um so for me personally frozen was my first animated feature i don't think it's a stretch to say that it's it's the dream of many many young composers to work on a disney animated feature and it's it's just something as a young composer you hope to one day be a part of um and the combination of that that hope and that expectation and that dream with the reality of it being as satisfying artistically and as rewarding as it was is really what I what I came away with from the first one
0: i think for me it's, it's, since i've worked on a lot of movies it's yeah. usually the the simple thing like i'll be in an airport and see someone with a frozen bag mm-hmm. or someone dressed up as else or something like that, just because it, it helps you, it almost justifies it all. Mm-hmm. Like if if it helped that little boy or little girl express themselves, like that's kind of it, you know. What like what more could you ask for? Like and obviously Frozen made a lot of money and and won a lot of awards and all that, and that's great too, but. When you're in the world and there's no focus on it and you get to see a kid that that was inspired by something you had anything to do with, I think that's the real win.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And if I could just add to that as well, that reminded me of of a kind of turning point in my career where before Frozen – You know, I I had fans, Mm -hmm. but they tended to be middle-aged soundtrack collector nerds who live in their mom's basement, right? And I see them at, like, a signing at some comic book (laughs) store somewhere, and they have a stack of CDs like this. Um, But since then, you know, when I've spoken in public at places like Comic-Con or or done uh, any kind of public events, um, any kind of public event, um, you know, I'm seeing families, and and they're bringing their CDs for me to sign, and they want to, you know, they're... Eight-year-old girls want to take pictures with me, and that is, you know, no disrespect to the soundtrack nerds, <laughs> but it is nice to feel like as an artist, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reaching out to a, a broader base of people, and yeah. I think Frozen is just a huge part of that.
1: And then I'll just leave it here, because I think it's always nice for these people who are obviously giant fans of both of yours, and they want to hear more. Is there something that was left out that you're like, here's a little something. Here's something I didn't get to bring to you.
2: You know, that's a very difficult question because um, moment to moment as I'm developing a score and composing it, you know, that's part of my daily life Yeah, is things it's that end cutting. up on the cutting room floor. Right. And I think one of the most important ways that I can be a good collaborator and, you know, we touched on this earlier how important it is to sort of leave your ego at mm-hmm. the door and to just wholeheartedly accept your role as part of a storytelling team. Um, you know, one of the the defense mechanisms, if you want to call it that, that I've developed is is to cultivate a real emotional detachment from any work that ends up on the cutting room floor. So, you know, I, I just look at the finished product with immense pride and satisfaction, and I don't ever think about what was on the cutting floor. So I'm not even sure I could remember. Wow. Anything. That is so
1: meditative of you. That's so like, you know, is, the passing clouds are gone. It's and <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, it's, it's really an
2: occupational necessity. <laughs> okay. um, I, I want the people I work with to feel comfortable telling to me tell that if they're not, not happy right with something. I don't want to be wow. defensive or angry about it. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable about it.
1: Wow. I'm so impressed with that. That's, that's where I'll have to end it because I can't, I can't even think because I'd be like I have this one and it was so good <laughs> well thank you both very much for doing this thank, thank you, you for having this us is, I, I think we got I think you're onto something here <laughs> we are so grateful for Tom McDougal and Christoph Beck for basically writing our soundtrack of our lives also for their time today Inside Frozen 2 is a production of ABC Audio and Walt Disney Animation Studios written and produced by Matt Wolf with additional production by Trevor Hastings, Gabriel Stewart, Gabriel Guy, Andrew Page, Dana Schaefer, and my personal favorite Frozen fan, Samantha Winick. Executive produced by Heidi Oringer, and special thanks to Abe Velez and Josh Cohen at ABC. Oh, and Amy Astley, of course, at Walt Disney Animation Studios. I'm ABC's Ginger Z.